This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English. And today we are joined by Dr. Jarvis Williams. Dr. Williams is Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's published numerous books, including Christ Redeemed Us from the Curse of the Law, uh, a commentary on Galatians, and the recently released Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, a biblical theology of the people of God. And he has a commentary with IVP coming out on, you guessed it, Romans. <laughs> so before before we jump in, Dr. Williams, thank you for jumping onto the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Now, before we talk about it, Dr., uh, before we jump into Romans, I would love to just have the audience hear uh, the elevator pitch for your recently released Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. That's a book that just came out, gosh, in the last month and a half, two months. And I have to say, I just finished it. It's fantastic. I would highly encourage our audience to go check it out. But could you just give them a kind of a snapshot, an elevator pitch on what's the book about and uh, what's the value in reading it? Why pick it up? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for reading it. But basically, my, my thesis in the book is that it's been God's intention, his plan from the foundation of the world to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nations, and to make those diverse image bearers from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation into a new people that is marked off by faith in Jesus, the Spirit, and who are transformed by the Spirit to live in a broken world that also has beauty, but a broken world to seek to, to love God and love neighbor well. And what I do in the vast majority of the book is I go from Genesis to Revelation by highlighting the theme of redemptive kingdom diversity with this eye toward applying uh, the theology and the biblical exegesis to current conversations regarding race, ethnicity, racism, and ethnic division, as well as to other issues related to Christian living. So most of the book is biblical exegesis and theology, but there's a 37-page conclusion at the end, the last chapter, where I'm applying that theology and the biblical exegesis to very specific current conversations. Yes. And I would just say to the listener, it's compelling. And I'll tell you, Dr. Williams, I was really tempted to rush to the end and to read those 37 pages. (laughs) Are you that guy, Uh, Kyle? I am. I am that guy. guy. I was like, I'm just going to rush there. And I'm going to say this. Because I know the other listeners will, uh, the, pay, the the payoff in those 37 pages, it's there. Uh, what you want from those pages, it's there. But the engine that comes before it is crucial. And it's mm-hmm. been a very neglected part of those conversations. And that, I, I'm telling you, those 37 pages are rich. But the one of, the, I think, the central gifts, again, just to commend the work. I, listen, I, I'm not getting any kickbacks on this book. I just think it was really good. The audience might be like, wow, Dr. Williams has an under-the-table deal with Kyle. <laughs> I don't. I'll just not say the audience. This. I was beginning to think. I'm, I'm wondering, but I mean, I'm cynical, so. <laughs> I was just, I, the, the thing about it is, is that, like, I really do feel like one of the unique contributions of the book is that a lot of the larger conversations Conversations have been ha- are being had totally divorced from a biblical theology of right. the issues, and this book provides that in spades. And so, Dr. Williams, once again, thank you because the book is good. Thank you, brother. That's very encouraging. I, I appreciate that. So, for our time today, we're going to be talking about Romans chapter eight. We've been in a series on Romans on the Knowing Faith podcast, and. Uh, we've been we we've talked about Romans eight one through uh, seventeen, and today we're going to look at eighteen through twenty eight. Uh, and normally, 
Uh, we uh, we spend a lot of time reading the whole passage. Today, I'm not going to read all of Romans 18 through 28. I'm just going to read Romans 18, uh, 8, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And then we're going to have a conversation about 18 through 28. And so I'll read this passage for us, and then we'll jump into discussing it with Dr. Williams. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen, uh, excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul has been giving us this, gosh, extended treatment of hope. Uh, Dr. Schreiner turned us on to this in Romans 7, just that we're seeing kind of a larger theme of hope. And then we get to verse 18, we begin to hear about hope in relationship to sufferings. It's not the first time it's been mentioned, but it is a significant reflection on it. And so I guess the place to begin here is, Dr. Williams, when Paul mentions sufferings here, what does he have in mind? Does he have in mind like the stubbed toes of life, the missed parking spots of life? Or does he have in mind more serious matters? Or kind of what does Paul have in mind when he talks about sufferings? Yes, yeah, a good question. As you pointed out, if you go back to chapter 5 uh, in 1 through 5 when he's talking about the benefits, one of the benefits of being justified by faith is that we have peace with God. And he mentions, if I recall, suffering for the first time there in, in terms of affliction, that we have affliction and that, that affliction produces this tested character. And tested character strengthens our hope. When you come to chapter 8, I think he develops that, uh, that idea a bit more. And the kind of sufferings I think Paul's, to which Paul is referring are the normal rhythms of the, of the Christian life that we experience in this present evil age. Of course, chapter 6 makes the point that, that this world and we, uh, prior to faith in Christ, are enslaved to sin's power. And so in addition to um, the creation needing liberation and restoration, we as individuals need liberation and restoration. And part of that restoration and liberation will be from our current sufferings of afflictions in this world. Now, more specifically, if you turn to chapter 8 and notice in verse 35, Paul says specifically that the sufferings to which he's referring are affliction and distress in 835, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Uh, and then he quotes this verse from Psalm 44 related to the suffering of the people of God, the afflictions that the enemies of the people of God inflict upon us. And then when you look at verse 38, he mentions death. And, and some other things. So I think, in, in summary, the sufferings could be uh, persecution for our faith, could be cancer, could be poverty. It would be the normal rhythms that all human beings experience uh, in this present evil age that are the result of the fall and the curse that Romans 8 says Jesus has come to deliver us and the creation from. So when we, when we begin to think about this 
suffering, particularly the suffering of creation. I think one of the things that's so interesting to me here is that creation itself uh, is personified as something that's waiting and groaning, right? You know, you think about verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. It feels kind of strange to hear about something non-personal being talked about in such like very, gosh, like almost intensely intimate personal terms. I mean, eager longing, groaning with the pains of childbirth. Like, am I the only one that feels... I don't know. It just feels strange to hear it that way, right? Jen, you're smiling. Like, maybe it's not strange. <laughs> well, as the only woman currently, the only one who's actually given birth on the podcast, allow Fair me enough. to share my educated opinion. Uh, you know, the interesting connection that jumps out to me here um, is, I mean, like, why use this image, right? Like, it seems like he could have gone anywhere with this. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about how the pain of childbirth is a hopeful pain, you know, that it doesn't it doesn't terminate um, in, uh, it, we know that it is pointing toward a good thing that is coming. Um, but um, when I see the word groaning here, because I've spent a ton of time in the book of Exodus over the last couple of years, it immediately puts me in mind of when God hears the groaning of Israel when they're mm. um, pressed down in slavery, because mm. Israel is a birth narrative. You know that yeah, I mean, yeah. Exodus is a, is a birth narrative, and the, the right. nation of Israel is about to be um, delivered through ten plagues. And so, mm. um, I read that, and I thought this is so fascinating because he's the because Paul has already used so much Exodus imagery. He keeps talking about slavery. Um, he keeps talking about you know death and all of the, the ways that he's talking about our bondage. Um, there are so many connections back to the to the Exodus story, and so now he he's going to make the point um, that the the that the creation is awaiting a rebirth and so also are are the children of God. And it feels like it's another one of those deliverance moments where um, we can look back. I think the language points back so that we can look back and go, oh, he did it before. Mm-hmm. So he certainly will do it again. I think his Jewish listeners would hear this language and probably be put in mind of it. Uh, Dr. Williams, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, that's good. That's a helpful observation. I, I think one of the things Paul loves to do is to personify powers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you look at Romans chapter 6 again, he, he talks about sin as a power, as an active agent that enslaves. It rules and reigns over the entire cosmos as well as human beings as an active agent. But Jesus, as the superior divine agent, comes and emancipates us from the tyranny of sin. So I think when you get to Romans 8, one of the things, one reason why Paul personifies creation as this agonizing agent is because he wants to emphasize the gravity of creation's bondage uh, alongside of the gravity of the, the, the power that sin has over creation in order to hyperemphasize the, the magnitude of Jesus's liberation of the entire creation from sin. Quite frankly, I don't think folks in our theological circles like the word liberation very much, but that's unfortunate because Paul talks about liberation in the in the in the biblical sense quite often. Uh, Jim pointed out the the liberation from slavery of the people of God, but we as Christians are the new people of God who are experiencing a new exodus, a better exodus, a greater deliverance. But not only that, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, the entire creation is going to be regenerated. 
so that our destination is a glorified world with glorified people at the end of the age when Jesus returns from heaven to earth. So I think one reason why he personifies creation and sin in those ways is to emphasize the the magnitude, the glorious magnitude uh, of this great cosmic, vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. That is so helpful, uh, Dr. Williams. Just a... I, I would want to dive into that for like, we could talk about that. I mean, that's, that's, you could say that's the story of the Bible. We have this new exodus in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been liberated from the powers of Satan, sin, and death uh, that I'm actually teaching here in our Storyline Institute through Genesis and the Exodus narratives right now. So would, would love to maybe have you back on another podcast to talk about that. But one thing I'm thinking about right now, um, uh, I'm, I'm preaching through Romans right now. I'm in Romans chapter two at my church and he says something here in this passage that we're considering about the revealing of the sons of God. And, and, and Paul uses this language of reveal regularly. Like I think back to chapter one, when he says that the righteousness of God is being revealed. And again, for our listeners, this is kind of this apocalypse that there are these two ages and there's things that we can't see. And there's things that are being, that we can't see now that we're being able to see. Or he says right after that in verse uh, 18, also the wrath of God is being revealed. So so Paul has this sense that we we are not right now able to see all that we will one day be able to see. This is what he's talking about with hope as well. But this is some interesting terminology also in terms of biblical theology. What is the revealing of the sons of God? Yeah, that's good. That's, those are so good observations. I think one thing that may be helpful in the conversation is to realize when Paul talks about God's redemptive acts in Christ for sinners and for the world, they, they, that's, it's an already not yet redemption. So that right now we taste um, and see that the Lord is good. We are right now, Romans 3, 21 to 4, 25, we are justified by faith right now. 5, 1, because we have been justified by faith, we have right now peace with God and, and we will absolutely be saved and we are saved. But Paul also talks about this not yet aspect of redemption where, where salvation is already here, not yet realized. And we are awaiting this future uh, deliverance that is yet to come. We are awaiting this future justification that we've tasted now, but that we fully realize on the last day. And, and we know it's already here because we have the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. But on the other hand, we know we are awaiting the revelation of the sons of God, who, who the people of God are, because we live in a real world with broken people and we suffer the same kinds of brokenness and pain as everybody else in creation. We experience sickness, suffering, death, poverty, depression, so on and so forth. And so right now in this present evil age, I love how you pointed that out too, JT, uh, or Dr. English, excuse me, uh, that the, the present evil age is, is an age in which at times the people of God are similar to those who aren't the people of God because we all suffer. So we don't yet know fully what we are to be or even who are the people of God. But when Jesus returns from heaven to earth and when he makes all things right, he's going to give the people of God who suffer along with those who aren't the people of God. We get glorified bodies. We get perfection. We get uh, final salvation. And, and we get the clear declaration, manifestation, who are the people of God, who are not the people of God, as we share in this totality, this consummation of this salvation that we have in Jesus. So we are awaiting, as Paul says in, in Galatians 5, we are awaiting the certainty uh, of hope by the, or the certainty of righteousness by the Spirit. Um, 
We have it, but we're waiting for it, for it. And when Jesus returns, it will be fully given to us and revealed on the last day. And is that tension a part of the tension between, so when I I look at verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Like, so we've been, it sounds like earlier in Romans 8, 15 through 18, we're like, we've been told we have been adopted. And now we're being told we are waiting eagerly for adoption. Is that that tension between adopted, waiting to be adopted? Is that the same kind of tension? It's like, we've been justified, we're waiting for future justification? Yeah, I think that's right. We, We are adopted, uh, because we have the Spirit, and He calls us. He makes it very clear, doesn't it? Doesn't he? In chapter eight, uh, verse fifteen, He says that we are uh, our children of God. That we that we do have the Spirit of adoption, and and so, but that adoption is not yet fully realized uh, because we suffer. We we are afflicted. We're persecuted. We die. We don't have glorified bodies. So the not yet reality of our adoption is something that is in the future, but it is certain. So that's what hope is, by the way. It is confident expectation that God has, in fact, fulfilled all of his redemptive promises for Jews and Gentiles and for the world in Christ. And we know that we will experience future adoption because we have we have current adoption right now. And the spirit living within us, as Romans 8, Romans 8 emphasizes, is testifying to that reality. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your your copy today. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. I mean, I I feel like this is one of those things, this uh, tension that we live in between the already and the not yet. I don't know, Jen and JT, if you guys feel this, but like when Christians begin to hear this for the first time, it, it becomes such a helpful paradigm for them between places in scripture where they kind of felt torn genuinely, but they felt like they were in tension. And you're like, you are, you are in tension. You are kind of caught between these two realities. And I always feel like that already not yet that we see so beautifully depicted in Jesus's teaching ministry on the gospel of the kingdom. And then as it plays itself out in, in the letters uh, and, and in the witness of the church, it just feels like, man, it, it, it can be uh, gosh, I don't mean validating in a bad way or like a simple way. I just mean like it can help them express how they feel. They do feel caught. And you're like, mm-hmm. you are caught. Well, one of the things that came up in, when we were teaching through this in, in the Bible study um, was that idea of adoption and how it's such a, really a perfect illustration for that already and not yet. Because if you think about 
um, the adoption of a seven-year-old into a, a, a new family. They stand before a judge and they receive their new name. Uh, in some sense, they receive this new identity, but that doesn't mean that they're not still dealing with everything that they've brought into this family from their, their previous family. So they can fully acknowledge their status as a member of that family and that they've received a new name, but they still have to live into that new family over a period of time. So I actually love the the image of adoption. I think we often think of adoption like from birth when we think of that image, but um, just some of my own personal experience with adoption, I think of those older children coming into a family um, and wrestling through all of the things that they have either suffered through previously or the sins that they have committed or that have been committed against them and how it impacts their ability to enter into that new space. And that's us entering into the family of God. And yeah, and I think, uh, yes, amen to that, Jen. And and I think what Paul does here, he, he moves like, yes, so we're living in between these two ages, between two worlds could be another way that we would talk about it. We're waiting, we're waiting for this world to be redeemed, to be restored, that we'd be liberated from this present evil darkness. Uh, and we're looking forward to the revelation of the righteousness of God, the revelation of the sons of God, the revelation of the wrath of God. But sometimes I think, in, at least pastorally, so still staying in the text, but pastorally, I think, Kyle, uh, you kind of brought this up, like people, when they first think about this, be- this between two worlds and the revelation of the two worlds, it can be, uh, it can be both hopeful but it can also feel defeating. So like, oh, so what you're telling me is, is I have this future hope that I don't have access to. Like, well, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? And he tells us, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We have this agent that adopts us, this agent that inherits us. It reminded me as we were just talking about this, as, as Jen and, and, and Dr. Williams were talking, Paul says something somewhat similar in kind of his Trinitarian dialogue at the beginning of, of Ephesians. And Dr. Williams, I'd love for you to, I mean, maybe, I've, maybe I'm making something up here, but maybe kind of help us think through this Paul's pneumatology of helping the church wait, because he, he, he goes through what the Father does, what the Son does. He gets through, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, uh, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is where he's going to go in Romans chapter 8, how the Holy Spirit helps us groan. The Holy Spirit helps us uh, intercede even when we don't have words. You are sealed with this promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. And that's what you were just talking about a minute ago is this Holy Spirit. It's not that we're living in a fleshly world waiting for a spiritual world. It's that the Holy Spirit is now our present inheritance and guarantee. It's a foretaste of the liberation and deliverance that one day will be made complete. I'd love to have you interact with that a bit, Dr. Williams. Yeah, that's good. Uh, one of the powerful things I think about about what you just said is is that in in the in the present evil age, as the people of God, uh, personally as a as a Christian, suffering ha- can feel paralyzing. A uh, f- few years ago, I lost my aunt who raised me, and her her death was so awful. The way in which she died, and I knew how to pray, but not what to pray. And that's what Paul says in the text, right, is that we don't know what to pray. And I think particularly we don't know what to pray when we suffer. That's, that's the context of this verse. I think that's the context of 828 and following as well, is that in the context of suffering, we don't know what to pray. But when we, when all we can do is say, Ugh, this is so painful. I can't make sense of this. The Spirit is matching our groanings by means of interceding on our behalf. And, and the reason why the hope that we have is certain, and it's not as though we're awaiting for this uh, otherworldly experience where we have this hope, 
is because we have the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. We have God who has already adopted us. We have Christ who's died for us. And the Spirit and Jesus, this text says, are both praying for us. So this Trinitarian work of God on our behalf for, for sinners and for creation is one reason why even in the face of intense, real, paralyzing pain, we can be certain that God is working out all things for our redemptive purposes, for our good, because he is in control of our soteriological destination. And the Spirit is guaranteeing that as he's sealing us and as he's praying for us uh, as God's adopted children. That is uh, both powerful and helpful. And honestly, just one of the things that as, as, a, as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, and also just as somebody who's reading through Romans as somebody who's now teaching Romans, I think one of the things I've been struck by is Paul's pneumatology. That sounds a little strange to say as somebody who's a Trinitarian scholar, but like just to see, I mean, he is so heavily reliant on the Spirit's work in our life, whether we're talking about circumcision of the heart or we're talking about the hope that we have or the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. And I've just found that to be honestly something in my own, both in my my life and walk with the Lord, but also as a pastor and as a minister who's, I realized I've actually been heavily deficient in my, in my uh, especially in seasons of suffering, mm-hmm. my desire for my people or myself or, or Macy, my wife to say, but we have the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, because it can be so easy to say, but we have this hope that we're waiting for. Or it can be so easy to say, but Jesus loves us. Like, and again, all those things are true. But here, Paul's first instinct is, you have the Holy Spirit of God. And I just find that so hopeful. And I love that this is the setup for, you know, the verses that everybody puts on their coffee cup or on their refrigerator, because we don't always think about that. And I love, Dr. Williams, you were heading toward it. And I want you to just, you know, go there. Take us to how this is a better message when we put it in context. When you get to Romans 8.28, you know, we have to remember that in Romans 8.16 or 8.17, Paul says that we're children and we're heirs if we suffer together with Jesus and we're going to be glorified with Jesus. So the pattern that is for us um, is Jesus suffered in this present evil age. Of course, he was sinless. He was perfect. But Jesus was born under the curse of the law and all all of those realities and, and became like us so that we could become like him. Uh, not in the sense that we're God, but in the sense that we too will, we have already and we will experience resurrection. And and so then suffering takes the stage at the forefront, verses 18 down to verse 28. And along the way, Paul says that this suffering is a, uh, a part of the necessary experience of the people of God because through suffering, we experience this exaltation. The creation was subjected in, in hope and futility, uh, the curse, and the curse also brings upon us suffering. But the Spirit's praying for us in our times of suffering when we don't know what to pray, and he's and we are children of God, and the Spirit is guaranteeing that all things, verse 28, are going to work together for the good for those who love God. All things are working out to our sociological good. That is the suffering that is broken into this present evil age and that afflicts and even maybe even um, hurts the people of God to the point of despair. That that suffering, though it's awful and we should do everything we can within the biblical boundaries and the biblical parameters and with common grace and common sense to alleviate suffering whenever we can. But here's the point. 
is that when there is no alleviation in this world of suffering, that we can be confident because of God's work for us through Jesus and the Spirit praying for us, sealing us, that everything regarding our redemption will work out together for the good. All things are working out for our sociological good. So then he says, this is the reason. Because God foreknew or foreloved, he predestined, I'm just paraphrasing here, uh, he, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He will. He, he calls, verse 30, he justifies. And here's the climax at the end of verse 30. He glorifies. So we can, as believers, in the, in the face of suffering, we can be absolutely certain that our hope in Jesus is secure and that we have hope right now, even though we don't know what to pray, because the destination for the people of God who have the Spirit and have been redeemed by Jesus is future glorification and reigning with Christ forever in this new world. And therefore, we don't have to live our lives when we suffer as though we don't have any hope. We have hope. That hope, yes, we don't we don't taste it maybe when we suffer. I know I didn't when my auntie was dying. I, I felt like the Lord was not present, but he was. And a means by which he strengthened my hope was through that season of suffering that caused me to hold on to him more with the certainty that future glorification is coming. And he uses that by the Spirit as a means by which we persevere in this hope. Yeah, Dr. Williams, I don't know that we, I can imagine us having a man, better landing place than that right there. Just the hope of the glory that is to come, even in the midst of the sufferings that we endure today, um, with the power of the Spirit groaning on our behalf and interceding on our behalf. And uh, thank you, Dr. Williams, both for your insight on the passage and sharing your story uh, and uh, your writing ministry and your teaching ministry as it continues to bless the church. I know both as those who are training for work in the life of the church at Southern, uh, but also beyond uh, and to our audience as well today. So thank you for jumping on Knowing Faith today to talk through this passage with us. Thank you. In our next episode, we're going to wrap up Romans chapter 8 and uh, take a look back on what we explored over Romans 1 through 8 this season. But I do want to pause and just draw attention to our sponsor. If you think now might be the time to pursue more theological training, log on to sbts.edu slash explore. This online diagnostic tool considers the theological training you have now, factors in what more you want to accomplish, and explores the Southern Seminary degrees that will prepare you to to do even more. Whether you're exploring the idea of theological training or you feel called to full-time ministry, you can get personalized guidance at sbts.edu slash explore. Listen, I, I got to tell you, I really believe this. You should go grab a copy of Dr. Williams' book. I promise you I'm not getting a kickback on it. It's that good. And after you've read uh, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, I hope you'll go pick up Redeemed from the Curse of the Law and look for his forthcoming commentary on Romans. Uh, if it's half as good as Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, it'll be worth twice whatever you pay for it. That's what I'll say about it. Hope that's where, that's the, where the kickback is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, double, just double the payment. It, it's a long game. It's a long game. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.